Thanks for listening to this special edition of Inside the Daily Press. You're about to hear a long-form conversation with a candidate for local office. Um, if you enjoy these, check out our website. You'll see most of the candidates have come in and spoken to us. And then check out our website for full election coverage at smdp.com. All right, folks, thanks for being with us today. Uh, today we are talking to City Council candidate Carolyn Tarosis. Uh Carolyn, thank you very much for being here. Why don't you take a couple minutes and tell people uh, who you are and why you're running? Thanks, Matt, for having me. Appreciate it. So hi, everyone. My name is Carolyn. Uh, I'm running for city council because fundamentally, I think that we live in the best city on earth and I want to make it better. Uh, Currently, I'm serving in my second term on the Santa Monica Rent Control Board. Uh, I've been elected twice by the voters of the city. Um, And in my day life, I'm an attorney and I'm currently uh, Supervisor Holly Mitchell's Senior Deputy for Economic and Workforce Development. Uh, For those who don't know, she's chair of the LA County Board of Supervisors. And Uh, I started my career really representing workers in cases of wage theft in L.A. County, and I saw the economic disparity that we have here in Santa Monica and, of course, throughout the greater L.A. County region. Um, And then from there, have had the opportunity to be at the county on the front lines of increasing our minimum wage, designing our wage enforcement program, which we actually contract with the city of Santa Monica for, Um, then testified in Sacramento and actually designed a foreclosure prevention program that helps homeowners and banks reach settlements so that homeowners are not foreclosed on. Um, And then for the greater part of the last two and a half years have been on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic, both public health and economic pandemic, delivering hundreds of millions of dollars of resources to our small businesses, to our workers, to our families, uh, and also addressing, you know, what's a considerable digital divide in this uh, city and in this county uh, that prevents folks from accessing school and healthcare and resources that that they need. Um, and so, in my, in Santa Monica specifically, I think that we have uh, a homelessness and housing crisis. I think that in this election, public safety and making sure that we are safely recovering uh, is really important. And then. Uh, of course, economic recovery. And I think that I'm the candidate who's best suited to do these things because I'm already doing this work, um, both on the rent control board and at the county, uh, overseeing a $39 billion budget and making sure that we are standing in the gap for folks who need services. Um, And I think that we, in the last couple of years, have had some tension on our city council. And I'm running because I think that I can bridge that gap between all the different factions and really bring civil discourse, professional discourse, innovation, um, and economic recovery to our city. Uh, and so that's why I, I got involved and and really grateful to be here to talk about it. Gotcha. All right. So I heard I heard homelessness, housing, <laughs> safety, economy, and civility as as talking points, right? Sure. So, if you want to call them talking points. <laughs> no, I'm not, yeah. not, not, you're, yeah. not you're listening yeah. that way, but yeah. those are those are priorities, right? Yeah, and and if you look at my candidate statement, I would say economic recovery, public safety, and homelessness and housing are my top three priorities. Gotcha. Well, yeah. Let's start with homelessness, right? Sure. So it's a big topic. Sure. It, there's lots of feelings on it. There's all kinds of ways to break it down, right? Define for me how you see the state of homelessness in Santa Monica, just so I know like the scale of what you what you think it's like. And then um, I'm going to ask you some questions about what specific policies you might or ideas you have to address sure. problems. So first of all, I want to acknowledge that in our point in time count this year, we actually saw a decrease in homelessness. But I also want to acknowledge that it's a regional problem uh, and homelessness doesn't just end at our borders. Uh, it really requires coordination across the county. 
Um, we did see a very slight increase countywide uh, in homelessness, but I think we've seen a leveling or a plateau, if you will, of the number of people that are becoming homeless. And I think that's attributable to a few things. First, we're building more housing. Um, secondly, we're better deploying our mental health resources. But then thirdly, I want to acknowledge that we still have more people falling into homelessness every day than we actually have getting out of homelessness. And so to me, it's preventing people from becoming homeless. And it's also about connecting folks to the right services, uh, the right wraparound supports, the right case management, and of course, the right housing type for them uh, to get folks off our streets. And so that's what I want to work on um, on city council. And I also acknowledge that you know our, our first responders, our public safety officers, have a lot to do with this, uh, in specifically in our jurisdiction. So, teasing that apart a little bit, right? So, housing, great. People need houses, but are we? The, the fundamental one of the fundamental questions is: Should we be building that housing? Right? There's there's an un, uh, unassailable fact that most of the folks that are on Santa Monica streets are not from Santa Monica. They're just not. And you, you, we can ask them in the point in time count. We can ask them when they get arrested with their city of residences. There's ample evidence that most of the people on our streets are not from Santa Monica. But you should see my response to your survey because I looked at the data and over 70% of the people that are homeless have been in this county for 20 years or more. In the county, for sure. So that's what Absolutely. I'm saying. It's, a, it's not a just our borders situation. No, it's right? not. But it's not. But we have control over our borders, right? Sure. That, that's, that's where it comes from. And so- Folks who are homeless or made homeless somewhere else end up in Santa Monica. No question about that. And and I know I know why. It's because it's lots <clears> of different <throat> reasons, right? We have a lot of services. We also provide a safety net. Like generally speaking, our streets are far safer than other streets in the county, other places. There's lots of reasons why people want to be here. And we're allowed to enforce anti-camping ordinances because we've produced enough housing. And Venice, right, can't. You, you go over to Venice, you see a different situation. And, and we'll get to that in a minute because that leads to something else about the kind of homeless person who comes here versus homeless versus Playa versus Skid Row, right? But sure. when it comes back down to the housing question, should we and the city of Santa Monica be building the housing units that are necessary to house the homeless people that are on our streets, right? Because there's, there's going to be a bunch of candidates who say no, who say we shouldn't be responsible for housing those individuals just because they happen to be on our streets. Well, first of all, I think homelessness is a moral crisis. I think we all have to say that there's several, fa we have a mental health crisis. We have a crisis where we have an unprecedented number of people in poverty. And I think that to say not our problem to me as someone who believes that when you improve the human condition for everyone, we all improve. I, I, that's not acceptable to me to say, like, not our problem. Um, I think everyone needs to be part of the solution. We have 88 incorporated cities in this county. And if every 88, all of those cities said not our problem, where would we house people? Um, so I think but that's what many of them are saying. I, I mean, know. that's kind of it. It's like people, are, other other cities are <laughs> saying wanna, not our problem. <laughs> but I want to acknowledge that there's different types of housing. I think we need mm -hmm. to build different types of housing for the different types of people. If you're talking about inpatient mental health beds, that's one thing. And I, I also want to acknowledge that for about every 100,000 people, you're supposed to have 50 inpatient mental health beds. We have zero in Santa yep. Monica. And our closest ones are in Torrance at Harbor UCLA. So whether it's us in Santa Monica building it or us working with our neighbors in the city of LA and looking at Westwood and UCLA, uh, Mar Vista, et cetera, 
Marina Del Rey, we have a new um, Cedars Sinai mm -hmm. facility going up. Like we need to be working regionally. I'm not necessarily saying every single bed needs to be built in Santa Monica, but I am saying that we should be leaning in with resources, with expertise and working with our neighbors regionally. And that's another reason why I think I'm uniquely suited to this because I'm at these tables um, countywide in some of the discussions about how the funding is being disseminated. And so I get that. I get that answer, right? I understand that it's a region. I totally understand it's a regional problem. I, <clears throat> and, and other folks have come in and said, yeah, we need to work with regional partners. And I come back to, so A, we need mental health beds. We do. But then, we, we didn't put them in when, when St. John's put into its giant remodel. We just didn't. So I, Yeah, I'm, like, I'm not happy about that. Right. And, yeah. and that's not your fault, right? right? right. You weren't involved in that decision, right. but we didn't do that. I know. And so now we're looking at, okay, talking to regional partners, I... I what le what carrot or stick do you bring to the table that's going to get? I mean, Marina Del Rey is unincorporated Los Angeles County, right? So that's the supervisors, which obviously you have an in with. <laughs> but mm -hmm. you know, so like, where are we gonna? How are we gonna address this problem on a very boots on the ground basis, right? And so I look at this very specifically. Our our uh, street here on Fifth Street. Yeah, where, you have a lot of homeless people. Yeah, there. we're like right. ten yards from the OPCC facility. Right. Yep. There is no building that has a bigger, better front row seat to the homeless crisis than we do. Right. Most of these people out here are not at this point in their lives mentally capable of housing themselves or taking right. care of themselves. So right? I think that's, so there's a couple of things I want to respond to that. What I have been a proponent of, and you've seen me publicly say on the rent control board is that I think we need afford more affordable housing. And so I want to be clear that there's supportive housing that is for people that can't work and have a mental health issue and need wraparound services 24 seven. And then there's deed restricted affordable housing. And although the what you're seeing here on Fifth Street is the folks who have mental health issues, there's also a whole unseen homeless population that are like these intermittently homeless folks that can't afford mm -hmm. housing. And so I think that to say the whole homeless crisis rests on this mental health um, crisis is, is not exactly correct. But I do think that um, on the mental health side, we also have to work, for example, with Governor Newsom's care court proposal. How do we actually do something when someone who is not capable of making a decision for themselves says, I don't want to go into housing or I don't want services? Mm -hmm. like, I, I think we need to look policy-wise at what we what tools we can provide to our first responders, to our legal system, and to our p police and fire to say, if, you're, if you refuse X number of times, we have the opportunity to put you somewhere that's going to give you the care that you need. But again, we need the beds. To yeah, get that care. You, you need right, and I, I think that's that's a very logical approach. The problem is we need a. You need the place to put people. Right. We don't have it. Right. B. You need to change the conservatorship laws, which allows right. you to take away their their right to self determination. Right. And the popular culture is moving away from that at the moment. I know. Right, like yeah. Britney Spears effect. Like right. conservatorship laws are now the boogeyman. Like you also need uh, staff who are capable and willing to engage in that process. Right. right? And, right. and it's just a massive and that's money. Where we have department of mental health with $4 billion budget where we need to be working with our mental health street outreach teams to say, you know, maybe we don't have a bed for you in Santa Monica, but we do have a bed for you in West Hollywood, or we do have a bed for you, you know, here. And that's where you will have to go because we know that a lot of folks don't like to leave, um, the, you know, close vicinity mm -hmm. that they're in. Um, and so I think th those are some coordination issues that we need to work out. But I still think that Santa Monica has a role to play and a responsibility being such a high resource area um, to produce different types of housing. And so so a well, couple more questions on this, then we'll move yeah, on to your sure. other priorities, right? But no, this no, no, is, it's no, a no, big it's point it's for a, people. It's the biggest. I personally think it, every issue that we need to talk about needs to be in the context of homelessness, period. And, and so 
some of the things you're describing are not things that are necessarily new creations, no. right? The part of mental health exists. A budget exists. The H, the hamster teams, H3, or whatever they call them, HMST teams exist. The C3 mm-hmm. teams exist. Mm-hmm. All these things exist, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not in the, the, the quantity that we need them. Right. So how are you on city council going to change the current implementation of those resources, right? If those resources already exist, why haven't we leveraged them to the degree that we need to? How are you going to increase that? And fundamentally, if those resources do exist, why is the problem, when I say getting worse, we'll acknowledge, you totally acknowledge, the homeless count showed a decrease in actual people, but it also had a 17% increase in, in encampments, right? It showed that more people were on the streets in front of housed residents, right? Even if behind the scenes, more people were being housed. So like, Visually, the problem's gotten worse. Yeah, and that's right? what people care about. Right, yeah, right. So, so how how are we going to address that? Right. So, I think a couple of things. First, we cut our um, the position for our homeless liaison who was reporting directly to the city manager. Yeah, we had like a director level position right. who oversaw homelessness. And I think it's I, I I I don't. Our city staff has been completely maligned over the last couple of years, so I don't want to say anything negative, but I do think that we are under resourced and we need to reorganize and restructure now that we have a new city manager. Uh, with with an alignment towards solving this this problem as like a number one issue. Uh, I think that we need to put that to position in whatever way we want to see it, whether it's a homeless mental health um, kind of bent um, back in the city manager's office. And I think that we actually need to set milestones and have a publicly facing dashboard where we're holding our elected officials and if I was elected, me included, accountable. Um, because, I mean, you have folks on council who said that they were going to cut homelessness by 50%. Um, in the first year without any, yeah, like that was Phil Brock's tangi- campaign promise last right, year, last any election cycle. Tangible way to get there, and I I want to be clear that there is no silver bullet to this problem because there are so many different partners at the table. I also would say that I have never seen Santa Monica meaningfully at the table in any county level discussions on Measure H. In in your professional capacity, yeah, I would I've and I've said this on the campaign trail. We have three hundred fifty to four hundred million dollars annually in Measure H money. Um, we have what I've heard from our fire department, police, and others that we need more of these street outreach teams. Haven't gotten them, haven't come up with some sort of innovative public-private partnership, haven't been able to draw down that money. Um, Again, like I mentioned, uh, could we do contract services with Department of Mental Health? I don't know, but I have never seen that being proposed either. Um, And like I mentioned, they have about a $4 billion budget for these types of things. So what I would do, and I think that it's doable, I think we need to increase our our budget for homelessness and mental health support by 25%. And I'm not saying that that means take away from other parts of the city, but that means draw down regional, state, and federal dollars that I don't think that we're currently being as effective as we could be at drawing down. And then I think we need to restructure our city government so that we have all stars aligned towards this issue as a number one issue with a publicly facing dashboard that is updated and that everyone can hold us accountable to because I believe in transparency. Got it. And so so that that's some of the policy proposals. Uh, you know, I don't mean to cut conversations short. No, no, There's no, lot, it's fine. We have a lot to talk well, about. Well, we do have a lot to talk about, right? So try and, try and nudge us over and a little bit. And I talk bit. too long, so <laughs> you just got to cut me yeah, off. Right. So let's go. So housing, we've kind of talked a little bit about that, but I think there's some, you know, you had mentioned that affordable housing is one of the big um, diversion point or yeah. diversion points against some yeah. candidates, right? There's yeah. some folks who think we shouldn't be building anything. Some folks who think everything should be 100% affordable. We actually have some very real uh, decision points in this election, right? Yep. We've got two tax measures um, that are competing, one of which would fund affordable housing specifically. The other would be essentially a general fund boost. Um, but those are very specific to, to affordable housing. So 
just just so we'll lightning round it. Do you do you support Sue's the mayor's tax measure? Or Phil's, because they're they are mutually exclusive. Well, I just want to be clear that I don't see it as Sue's tax measure because sure. I mean, united, she and her husband wrote it. Okay, well, let's be clear. United to House LA, which is happening at the city and is pulling really well, um, was the basis and city of Los Angeles. City of Los Angeles. Sorry, to, I should have clarified that um, was the basis for, upon which this was written. There's an LA measure that's very very similar. So, yeah, thank you for clear. So there is an LA measure very similar. Um, as I understand it, there are not, it's not just Sue and Mike there, you know, there are several folks. We have John Katz, we have, you know, folks from Smur saying, look, we helped with the city of LA measure. It would make sense to do something similar in Santa Monica. Culver City's already done something. Mm-hmm. Let's do something where, you know, the, we are a progressive, innovative city. I am supporting that measure. I think that, uh, it, we, with the loss of redevelopment at the state in 2012, there just literally has been a dearth of funding for affordable housing period. And we do not get money from as much money as other cities do from the county. We have to produce our own funding. Uh, and so I think that uh, I'm, it's a, it's a good measure and it's well-intentioned. Gotcha. Um, and so while we're talking ballot measures real quick, cause it's also a housing one and you'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about it. Although I, to be blunt, we know I know where you're going to fall on it, but we have another measure on the ballot about rent control. Sure, right? yeah, we'll and so talk about it. <laughs> so this is this is something that's potentially a very galvanizing factor in this election. Um, inflation was extremely high this year. Our rent control formula, to nutshell it, sets annual increases at a percentage of inflation with a cap currently of six percent or one hundred and forty dollars, I think. Yes, um, and so that cap was hit because inflation was so high. There was mass, uh, what do you call it, uproar, confusion, you know, wheels all fell off. Everyone went haywire <laughs> for a while. And what we've emerged sure. with is is a ballot measure. At the end of all the chaos, <laughs> we've emerged with a ballot measure that's going to effectively roll back the current increases to an annual rate of 3%, right? And then cap going forward at 3%, right? And some com- complexities <clears throat> in there. No, I think that was a pretty good plain language explanation. Oh. Yeah. And so- I just so do you are you it's measure RC for what folks want to It is about, measure right? RC. I spoke about it uh, publicly at the Democratic Club, and I am definitely in favor of it. Gotcha. Yep. And so, why 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 do you think measure RC is is an appropriate response to the sure. the climate that we're in? So fundamentally, rent control is not affordable housing. I just want to be very clear because there seems to be some confusion out there in the community. Rent control was created to to really instill community stability so that folks when they moved into a community could have an expectation of how much their rent was going to increase every year similar to if you're a homeowner you have a mortgage you have an expectation of how much you're going to pay Um, because you know in 1979 when this was passed and and still today we don't feel that just because you're a renter means you are less than a homeowner i think everyone uh, should be protected in their housing um, th- what we were seeing this year across the state, quite frankly, is a record inflation, uh, which led multiple jurisdictions, including you know, city of Oakland, city of LA already has a complete cap on any rent increases, Culver City, Bell Gardens, all, all across the county, imposing rent caps. Um, and in, in Santa Monica, we were going to f- be facing one of the highest rent increases at 6% uh, in line with what our uh, rent control charter allowed. And we heard from a lot of tenants, a lot of folks on fixed incomes, a lot of folks who have been in this community a long time, and folks who are paying, you know, quite frankly, market rate rents, that they would not be able to stay here and not be able to afford it if they were to have to, um, you know, do a a 6% rent increase every month. And so we said we need to do something. Um, Specifically, this came about after we calculated the general adjustment 
uh, earlier this year. And so in April and May, Anastasia Foster and I started going to the city council and saying we need to absolutely, in addition to the other ballot initiatives, put a cap. Um, we are doing this because, again, we want to be able to keep folks in their housing in Santa Monica. Uh, it's already become very unaffordable here. Uh, and I think that this is something that we can put in place now to protect folks and make sure that we are we don't have more displacement than we've already seen. And so, I mean, there's a lot to unpack with rent control, sure. right? And and it's an interesting political football. Mm-hmm. So to your point about it not being affordable housing, absolutely. I've said that a bunch of times. There's no means test. Anyone can be in a rent-controlled unit, right? And that's, I think, what part of the issue was with the city council. But, yeah. Right, right. They don't get – I mean, the, some of the proposals that were made at that level didn't seem to account for that. But right. so it's not affordable housing. Right. Why is it acceptable? And we asked this in one of these questions, right? But if inflation is going up and sure. home own, a property owners, not homeowners, the property owners, their costs are also increasing. Mm-hmm. We've got caps on pass-throughs on various kinds of fees and other kinds of billing issues with your master meter on your water. Like their costs for property owners are going up probably more than 3%. I mean, I think probably more than 3%. And yet, if if so if this is not affordable housing, if this is... Yeah, let me. I I'm I can easily answer that. Yeah. Question. Okay. So go for it. Yeah. So, so the issue that that we have in Santa Monica is that first of all, over the course of the pandemic, over forty million dollars of state funding was paid out to our landlords mm-hmm. to make them a hundred percent whole. Um, that means that a hundred percent of the back rent was paid to our landlords. Ninety eight percent of the applications that were at, that were applied for in Santa Monica were granted. So the fallacy that folks have not made money throughout the pandemic is, is first of all, not true. Sure. I didn't say and, that. Though. No, no, no. I know. And and secondly, um, over 70 percent, of I think it's 74 percent of the buildings, excuse me, of the units in Santa Monica are at market rate rents. And of so, the rent controlled units yes, or total? Of, of the rent controlled uh, units. So 74 percent of the rent controlled units wrote this are in my at answer, market rate. You can check my 74. It's over 70 percent. So the thing is, is that we have a process for landlords to actually come to us and ask for a rent increase if they feel that they are not making a constitutionally fair return on their investment. But we live in a capitalistic society where, you know, folks want to make even more money, right? And so we're talking about like profits over people. And to me, it is more important to keep people in the city and still allow landlords to have a fair return on their investment. Uh, and. And again, if they feel that they're not making that fair return, if they feel that costs have increased so much, they can avail themselves of that rent increase process. But because so many of your units are at market rate, there, are, there have not been very many applications for rent increases because, quite frankly, folks are making a fair return. Buildings are turning over, new tenants are coming in, and even though it's a rent-controlled unit, you know, $4,000 a month, $5,000 a month, that's, those are the rents that folks are paying. So... I understand where landlords are coming from. I would also say as someone who uh, works a civil service job, I I certainly didn't receive a 6% increase to account for cost of living. I don't know where our our folks, um, you know, who are living in these buildings have received 6% cost of living increases. Uh, That's certainly not what I, I was seeing, hearing, and the experience in the community. And so I think when you weigh all the factors together, uh, we are still allowing landlords to make a fair return. We did not put a moratorium on any rent increases as the city of LA has done. We are simply saying 3% is sufficient and acceptable. Got it. Um, and and I, I, say, I look, I, your face looks like you disagree with me, but that's no, okay. I mean, I mean, I, I, you know, there's some of these questions come down to fundamental 
ethical viewpoints, yeah, no, right? They're sure, value judgments, sure. yeah, right? Sure. And, and and different different candidates are going to have different different responses on on the philosophical scale to that, for right? Sure, for sure. So, like, what I hear, and I don't think I'm putting words in your mouth here. You fundamentally believe that this is a fair and ethical system for the reasons you've outlined, right? I get that. I don't necessarily think everyone will agree with that. I agree with you. you know, but but I do think a lot everyone in rent controlled units are going to agree with you, right? Like this is kind of one of my things around rent control. Just me editorializing is that it's sort of a there's a self fulfilling prophecy on it where folks's value judgments about about it change once they're the recipient of the benefit, right? <laughs> and so Perhaps, like it's kind I of do. difficult sometimes to have a conversation that it, that removes people's personal. Uh, right. benefit of from the system from their views on it right and right. i would just say that i am not in a rent control department and i still feel this way sure uh because i've done i mean i've seen regionally statewide we've we've been um you know our rent control board has had a lobbyist at the state you know f- for in since rent control is enacted and i think we see what's happening at the state level around this issue i think we see who's benefiting um and i i would just say that uh I also believe that we should have a program for our landlords to be able to make, you know, necessary upgrades to their buildings, because I think that's another criticism is that landlords feel like, okay, we're making a fair return, but we're not making so much of a return that we can make critical upgrades. And people really deserve safe, accessible, habitable housing. And if we aren't, um, you know, having having you know low cost loans or other programs for both earthquake retrofitting and uh, capital improvements. I think that that is an issue and that's something I would like to work on. And I've said that, you know, even on the rent control board. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm long winded. No, no, no. I mean, it's fine. Like I say, these are complicated topics, right? And we could, we could spend another half hour on rent control. I acknowledge that like like, most of our housing providers are really great people. Um, So we, I I want to incentivize the good ones to stay here anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, so we'll use that as a transition because we've got, we've still got economy, civility and safety, right? So let's, let's transition to economy real quick. Cause I think that that sort of leads into some of this, right? And you, I think the economics of Santa Monica are shifting, have shifted, you know, part of the discussion around economic stability is who lives here and what can they afford versus what do we cater to folks who don't live here and bring in, what can they afford, right? There's on the retail side, like that's my bridge to this topic from what we've just been talking about. So you know, you work on economic development day to day, right? Yeah. What, where do you see the city of Santa Monica's economy at today? And what do you think needs to happen to either a keep it strong if you think it's strong or b improve it? Yeah. So I think that, uh, our, I've, I've had a listening tour in my time running and I would say that I, while I work with a lot of chambers of commerce around the region, I've only recently started working at the Santa Monica Chamber of Commerce, but the beach cities have you know similar issues insofar as, A, folks are concerned about safety. They feel that folks don't want to patronize businesses because it's not safe, especially in the downtown area, um, and crime is increasing. Um, while petty theft might be increasing, crime overall is not up in the county, but uh, that's an issue. And then B, I would say the red tape, the quote-unquote business-unfriendly uh, atmosphere that we have in Santa Monica. You know, many of our businesses have said to me, I don't necessarily need Santa Monica to be business friendly. I just don't want it to be business unfriendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, that means putting a permitting ombudsman or ombudswoman or ombudsperson in our planning department and expediting all of the different types of uses that we want to see uh, on the business side, whether it's like neo industrial, whether it's retail, food service. Uh, green jobs, if we're creating green jobs through like new emerging technology. You know, we have large employers here. Uh, we have SNAP 
uh, incorporated the city of Santa Monica's large employer. We need to make sure that we are uh, incentivizing businesses to return. And to do that, I think folks have said, we don't understand the timeline for getting uh, our projects entitled. It is hard to, to come back and either expand or start a new business. I think we need to ro roll out the red carpet a little bit more from a planning uh, and entitlement perspective. And I would look to do that if I were elected to city council. Um, additionally, I think we need to look at financial incentives. And I, although financial incentives might seem counterintuitive because we've lost revenue, I think they will pay off in the long run. And uh, as the chamber knows, we're about to launch at the county a $70 million business grant program. I think we need to make sure that we are leveraging our regional position to let our businesses know about grant programs that are available for them and also loan programs that are available for them. I would love to see a city-backed product where we have low interest loans for businesses to expand in the city. And then um, another program that we're doing, a commercial acquisition fund at the county I'd love to be able to bring to the city so that businesses can actually acquire the property that they are renting, give them stability to stay in the community, uh, grow and actually build wealth for themselves. And I think that we should be targeting that towards businesses that have been historically disinvested, like women-owned businesses and businesses of color, um, because those are the businesses that were left out of the PPP and other programs uh, during the CARES Act. And so <clears throat> I don't know if that answered your question specifically. Yeah, I mean, part of it. I think we need to make it easier for businesses to open, period. We need to make it, and then the safety thing is part of the economic recovery. We need to make sure that folks feel safe so that both our our stakeholders and our tourists and our residents want to patronize the businesses in the downtown area. And we'll, we'll come to safety next, but I just yeah, a couple of sure, sort of clarifying sure. points no, on the economy sure. stuff. When you're looking at, so those are great programs. I totally get where you're coming from on that. I guess more specifically, when you're looking at the Santa Monica, Santa Monica economy, pre-COVID, one of our large, we had sort of a couple of economic drivers, right? One of which was a large daytime office population yes. who supported gas stations, the uh, sandwich shops, like they did right. some retail shopping in the day. Like there was a bunch of people, hundreds of thousands potentially, depending on how you count it, who were coming in every day to the offices. Like the white collar jobs right. were one economic driver, as was tourism, right? Those were sort of the two yeah. big ones for us. Post-pandemic, we still are unsure exactly what the white collar situation is going to look like. Right, because there's hybrid work schedules. Yep. Right. And, and things, things are just still a little bit up in the air. So at the same time, we've got large-scale vacancies on in our retail zones. Yep. There's questions around what we do with some of the bigger properties, whether they were office complexes or the light industrial. And so – when you're looking at when you're sort of looking at what you would make as the perfect mix of the Santa Monica economy, what kinds of businesses, what kinds of economic drivers do you think we need more of? Should should we be recruiting more of those white collar jobs back? Should we be pivoting to more tourism? Should we be recruiting more manufacturing jobs? Like we asked all the candidates a question about tech because we have a, uh, an emerging transportation tech kind of theme in some of I our know, businesses here. but you didn't here. give us enough words to really lay out our answers. <laughs> well, but here's, this is the chance now. This yeah, is the explanation. No, absolutely. So, so where do, you, no, where do we go with the economic mix? I think that, honestly, we need to create higher wage, better paying jobs in the city. And to do that, we need to bring in the types of businesses that are going to create those jobs. However, I want to say that white collar office jobs, I don't think are ever going to go back 100% in person. I think we've seen that um, it, it's better for families, it's better for individuals to have flexible work schedules. So then we think about like manufacturing and advanced manufacturing specifically. I think that bioscience, life science, healthcare, those are the types of uses 
that we have space for in the city. Um, and we do have some of those. We do. We absolutely do. Uh, but I think that we could be, especially with our proximity to Silicon Beach, uh, we could be an innovator and, and we have been and we could expand our innovation around the life sciences. And I think we have a really good opportunity. We have anchor institutions at UCLA doing research at Harbor UCLA. We have a biotech park in Culver City. We have the county's first bioscience life sciences nonprofit to catalyze uh, that industry here. And so I think I would want to see like that light manufacturing and and life science and bioscience is a subset of manufacturing where people are going to have to be in the office doing the work, manufacturing the goods. Um, and and I think these corporate kind of white collar, I, not, I hate to use the word white collar, but yeah. these corporate desk jobs, mm-hmm. if you will, are never going to come back at 100%. So just to build up a bunch of office towers, I don't necessarily think is effective. But if we look at like wet lab space and like robotic space, and all of the technology and innovation that's coming to this region right now and the, the perfect, what I think is like incubation for that, that was that's what I would like to see because I think Santa Monica prides itself on being a city of innovation um, and we can absolutely continue to do that. I also think, I want to also acknowledge Third Street Promenade in downtown. I think that the uh, user experience of like retail and food service is fundamentally different than it was 20, 30 years ago when we built Third Street Promenade. I believe that we need to move away from these like big box stores and really celebrate smaller businesses, food hall, retail, um, entrepreneur space for smaller vendors to come in and incubate. I also think that we need to celebrate like the cultural anchors of Santa Monica, the fact that we have a really um, strong Chicano heritage here. We're at the Pacific North, the, the gateway to the Pacific here with a lot of tourism coming in. We also have our entire Belmar neighborhood, black neighborhood decimated by both City Hall and the 10 freeway. Like how do we celebrate our history while being context sensitive uh, and bringing the 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 celebratory aspects of these cultures that, that we might've been harmful towards into um, like the the pedestrian and tourist experience of Santa Monica, and I think that that those types of experiences are what folks who are visiting want to see because we're in an era where folks want to go viral, right? Unfortunately, so people want something unique, they want something different, they want something that's going to really speak to them from an experience perspective. And I think that we need to reimagine Third Street and how we're we're bringing folks, and then of course the public safety thing comes into. Yeah, and so so we'll circle back to the third yeah. street in a second because this is the, the second time the public safety has been a tangent. And so let's just follow it down for a second, yeah, right? Sure. So uh, there are folks who think the city is fundamentally unsafe. There are folks who just think it's dirtier or less welcoming than it used to be. Um, the stats are the stats. The crime, the official crime stats, don't necessarily support the emotional reaction right. that yeah. people are having, yeah. but their emotional reaction is also not invalid, right? right. Like right. I'm the first person to say that someone's crazy and is wildly inaccurate, but I also had a naked homeless guy lunge at me while I was trying to eat breakfast last week and yeah. I had to threaten to have set my dog on him, right? Like, yeah. And that's not even the first time I've had to threaten violence against someone who came at me while I was out in public, yeah, no, no, right? No, no. And so yeah. it's not... That that's just that's just a reality of being in Santa Monica right now. Like that, those experiences are happening to people. What are we going to do about it? Yeah. So again, this goes back to the mental health issue because when you're talking about a naked homeless person lunging at you, to me, that's that's the 
the symptoms of a mental health crisis. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Oh, right. So, so I think we cannot expect our first responders to be social workers. We can't expect them to know what to do in every situation. And I think um, I want to acknowledge that uh, the the police, especially in the wake of what happened on May 31st, 2020, have done like really an, a tremendous job of like keeping our city safe and being introspective about some of the changes that they've needed to make or have made. Uh, but I, I acknowledge that they're probably really stretched thin um, because they're out there having to respond to emergencies, which are really mental health like crises and folks maybe needing to be committed. Um, I think that we need to increase our non-sworn officers, our community services officers, our street outreach teams, our social workers, our mental health workers that are going out with our first responders uh, to give them that support. I also, um, to my understanding, we are not even fully staffed in our police department. No, we have had. I mean, we never have been. Right. Realistically speaking, right. we just never have. We we can. We are never able to hire enough officers to fulfill the budgeted uh, staffing level. So. We, if I'm not mistaken, I, I've had a lot of discussions with her friends in the police department. There's at least 15 to 17 positions that they ha they are budgeted for that they haven't filled. The issue is recruiting folks. Um, and the other issue is HR and actually processing these folks. I hate to get into the nitty gritty, but as someone who has been in mm -hmm. government for a long time, these hiring processes are not fast. Um, so I think we need to give our our police department some more support on the recruitment, the HR, the hiring side to get ourselves fully staffed up so we can actually see, okay, now that we're fully staffed up, how are we How are we able to respond? And then, like I've mentioned, this 25% increase in mental health outreach, I think some of it could go to the police department um, if we're drawing down our resources appropriately. I think the other thing to acknowledge is that, yes, I get it. People don't feel safe here. They see homeless folks. They see these smash and grab robberies. Uh, I, I just want to acknowledge that I personally feel safe in my home, um, but I know that uh, many don't. And I think that whether it's perceived or real, the increase in crime, um, we we need to acknowledge what people are seeing on the streets day to day. And we need to decrease the number of like visible uh, crime happening, especially in the downtown area. And I think that we're only going to do that if we have like these multidisciplinary teams that are going out and that we actually, again, put a lot of attention into this at like a executive level management position in the city manager's office. So so, when, so downtown is, is like, the if you want to call it the crown jewel, it's certainly the forward-facing uh, right. retail area of Santa right. Monica, right? We've yeah. got several. We've got Ocean Park, yeah. Main Street, Montana, like Pico. There's other sure, areas, sure, but sure. downtown's the only one that yeah. most visitors ever think about, care about, interact with. Downtown has had, so it's got vacancies which contribute to it, but, right. you know, there are... Um, Stairways and alleyways and elevators that perpetually smell like urine because they're used as bathrooms, right? There are perpetually individuals who are shoplifting all day long from a lot of those businesses. You know, there's a, there's, there are multiple factors to this, to your point, right? We absolutely have a mental health component. We absolutely have um, a homelessness component where individuals who, if we had provided them services and housed them and moved them on, wouldn't be stealing from the convenience store to eat, right? There's a like, cleanliness issue. Yeah, and then we also have a sanitation issue, right. right? All of that, I think, gets rolled into a mental perception of crime. I right. think that's the mental bucket that it gets put in in people's right. heads. Yeah. And so I heard you say we you know, staff up the police department to its budgeted levels. Great. No, I, I just don't think anyone in this election cycle is going to, going to dispute that, right? They might have done two years ago, but not or three years ago, prior, right before the riots, but not now. So if we staff up, great. 
we put more officers on the streets, then what? Well, okay, let's also talk about the fact that we lost approximately 400 positions during the pandemic of our city staff. We Mm -hmm. have all of our, um, like our janitorial, our public works, our ASME represented folks who have not been able to hire back to the same levels that we've had pre-pandemic. And I think that we need to look at like zones in, in the downtown area and figure out what is the current level of, of clean, like cleaning that's happening and do we need to be increasing that cleaning? Um, but I think that we can only do that if we have more staff. We either have to pay overtime or we have to we have to hire more people. And to hire more people, we need to increase our revenue. Oh, so is it like the city's responsibility problem. to do that? So, because we have DTSM, right? We have an organization who takes tax money from businesses and it's, I mean, I think we're technically in the assessment district here. Like, so I just want to say that it is a business improvement district and they do have millions of dollars, but ultimately like the city council is responsible for everything that happens, whether it's DTSM or whether it's like hiring more folks mm-hmm. in public works. And so if I, I disagree with this narrative that like, oh, it's DTSM's problem to solve. I think it's the leadership's problem to solve because ultimately you're elected and you're accountable. Um, I think that we potentially could look at their budget and see how they're using their resources. But from from my understanding, uh, it's been very difficult for DTSM to work collaboratively with the council from the folks that I've spoken with. I know that we have new folks who have been appointed to DCSM, so perhaps there's going to be a more effective relationship going on there. But I do think that it is partially on them at the direction of council to potentially hire more of these public safety officers to, as a business improvement district, pay specifically for the cleaning in the in the downtown area. But that's only limited to one area of the city. That's not going to be a citywide cleanliness. No, campaign. no, th- this is a specifically yeah. downtown problem. But but I cut you off there, and I apologize. Oh, sorry, for that. no, no, go come here. Yeah, because you were you were about to make a point, which is a question I was going to come to anyway, which is at at. Almost all of these issues, whether it's homelessness, uh, mental health, the economy, downtown, you know, your proposals have included hiring more staff at almost every every subject. It's like at some point we're hiring more people, right? whether it's hiring more cleaning staff, hiring a homeless czar, you know, a planning uh, expediter, right? More police officers, right? They all come down. But it's also like reorganizing the current positions that we have. Well, so this is my question. So, yeah. so one of the things you had suggested you, when I cut you off was that, that there needs to be a revenue component to that. Right. So explain to me how all these answers are going to come to fruition, right? Like if, if the solution is just have people do their jobs better or hire more people, where are we reshuffling from and where are we finding the revenue to pay for more people? Yeah, I mean, I think it's encouraging more uh, sales tax in Santa Monica, which is what we lost and why we had to lay off for 400 people. And so to do that, I think it's about work. It's working with the chamber. I think that we have a new executive director at the chamber. I think I know that she she and our new chair really want to do a campaign around like, how are we messaging Santa Monica? What is the brand of Santa Monica and why do people want to come back here? I think that we need to be uh, living up to what I would see as our world-class reputation. Um, and I think that that could be a coordinated outreach and engagement campaign and media campaign. I also think that, uh, like I mentioned, you, the ombudsperson does not need to be a new position, but I think we can start slowly by reorganizing our planning department and making it such that we are encouraging businesses to come back and, and providing specific incentives for them to open in Santa Monica uh, and I think that that will drive, I mean, we have a lot of vacant storefronts right now. That'll hopefully drive revenue back to the city. Um, and I, then I think we absolutely need to be, like I've mentioned, drawing down there. Look, there's $1.9 billion of American Rescue Plan money at the county. 
to my knowledge, Santa Monica is drawing down none of it. Like I mentioned, there's about 350 to 400 million annually of Measure H money. Yes, it goes to St. Joseph's Center, but that's a regional approach. We also have money at our Department of Mental Health, and then we have the bipartisan infrastructure law. I think that our council is so focused right now on figuring out who's responsible for what and quite frankly, squabbling with each other that we're not being proactive about drawing down potentially what's going to be $3 billion of, of, of bipartisan infrastructure law money that's supposed to come to the LA region that's going to create better infrastructure and more jobs. And so I think it's also about like, how are we managing our city at an executive level? How are we messaging our city and how are we interfacing with our regional partners? Yeah. And I think that's an interesting point for a number of reasons, right? Like there are folks here who fundamentally don't believe Santa Monica is part of Los Angeles, right? Like Los Angeles County. Like they're, we they're are, and we have to get those resources. Yeah, right. No, but that's right. what that's yeah, what I think is interesting. Right. And I think this is a stupid point, but I think this is something people will say is that Santa Monica is an island. It's a very stupid description of the city. It's fundamentally not in any philosophical, moral, like there's nothing about it that's island-like, right? We're crisscrossed with transits sure. from other places. Yeah, right, absolutely. <laughs> but but people, will, people will culturally say that. They think that. And so I think that's an interesting point you're making, which is – this is my words again and not yours. You're yeah. alluding to this notion that the city's thinking has been a little bit siloed and a little we're bit a little nativist, yes. quite frankly. Right. Yeah. And and that if if we were thinking more broadly at the leadership level, also with the trickle down to the citizens, that there's resources available that we could draw from on a regional state level that would address some of the local problems. And also let's talk about public private partnerships. I know that there there are some in the city, but uh, we have national and local philanthropy that is willing and able to come to the table with lots of money to innovate solutions to some of these issues. And to my knowledge, I haven't seen a either privately funded or philanthropically funded pilot because quite frankly, I, again, I don't know what conversations, but again, I'm, I'm having these conversations at the county level. I'm not seeing Santa Monica having these conversations at the city level. And so I just think there's a lot of resources available that if we had folks who were thinking that way and also I want to give a little bit of space to our city manager who's very new but I, I I would hope that our city manager is starting to reach out and make those relationships so that it's not just on the city council but it's also on the on like the executive management of the city to really be having those discussions yeah and and this actually ties neatly into the last point that we haven't gotten to yet what you had mentioned at the beginning was sort of uh, I wrote it down as civility. You talked about being a sure. bridge between yep. Yep. some of the different political factions. And I mean, there's two. There's two political factions on, on the council. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, you're right. There's the change slate on one side. There's the folks who weren't the change slate with Lana quasi in the middle. Um, you know, can, can, we can parse that a little bit, but that's the one sentence description of where sure. it's at. Yep. So what makes you think that you are going to be able to communicate with both sides, right? And And to put it another way, you know, you have come from the rent control board right now. It seems like your political path puts you on one side of that, I'm going to call it split, than the other. And there are some bright lines on it. There's districts. Like, should, I guess, do you, do you think fundamentally, do you think Santa, City of Santa Monica should be districted? I don't necessarily know that that actually gets us where we want to be. I think ranked choice voting is a much better... Oh, you and Mike Feinstein. Like, <laughs> Feinstein loves ranked choice voting. I'm not the only person who, sa who says this, but 
Um, if you look at cities that have districts, I mean, you have cities like Long Beach, much larger. Santa Monica is a pretty small city. And I actually don't know if we have folks who are in a district fighting just for their district, that that gets the, that gets the result that's the best for Santa Monica. I know we, we talk about it from a diversity and inclusion perspective, but I just don't know that the data is there that our current system does not produce uh, representative uh, democracy. Sure. That's a philosophical answer, though. But Phil, Phil, Oscar, and um, Christine probably want us to settle the CVRA lawsuit before sure. the judges rule on it. Like, there's a very real, like, polit- and I mean, they haven't told me that in those words. I'm just spitballing it. But, like, there's a bright line there. So uh, if but- you're on council and someone makes a motion to settle the CVRA, would you vote for it or against it? I would have to know what the terms of that settlement were. I mean, settle the CVRA is very broad. Sure. Settle is, it are in we the, getting, settle is it in ranked the favor- choice voting going to be part of that I mean settlement? it's not it's not what the it, that is not what the lawsuit was filed I know to, to include the lawsuit breaks the city into a into a map of districts that that's the, all it does the current uh, legal decisions that have come down on this indicate that a settlement would not be in the, the best interest of the city right now sure so I'm gonna kill that a no <laughs> on your answer I mean it doesn't I, I mean, don't necessarily know that it would be a no I would have to know what the settlement was I mean I guess I, if the terms I mean you 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 are I, I'm not in favor of districts at this current juncture gotcha gotcha um so you but, know that's a bright but, but, line but I want to answer your question about how I if you were done asking it yeah yeah go yeah I mean I think listen we are never all going to agree on policy on a, on any city council but I think if you can be respectful and build options for discourse and hear folks out from where they're coming from, um, that goes a long way than making assumptions, goes farther than making assumptions. And I think that I've had really positive conversations with everyone on the city council. I think everyone knows where I stand. I'm not going to come there as a surprise. I mean, I've taken votes. I've said things publicly. Yep. Uh, and I acknowledge that. But at the same time, I think it's beyond just districts or just development. I mean, we all want what's in the best interest of the city. Um, and I respect that about everyone who's on council. I just think we have to we have to be kinder to each other. We have to go hard on the policy, but not on the people. Um, we have to have a, a tailored and on-point discussion at, at the city council that doesn't go off on tangents. I mean, I think that given the work that I've done with all these council members, given that I think they see me as a credible um, actor in, in local government, uh, and that, given that I think I can bring some like outside experience to bear that's directly relevant to the issues that we're dealing with here in the city, um, I think that we there's a mutual respect there. And I think that all we can ask for is that everyone respects each other and that we move forward in a more civil manner. And that's what I would plan to do. I would plan to work with everyone on the council um, because I think there's always issues that we can see alignment on. Gotcha. Um, and so this sort of sort of brings us to the conclusion phase, right? Because we're, we're running up against our hour sure, time sure, limit. Sure, sure, like sorry. We're getting, we're, no, no, it's, this, this is what happens. It, these conversations could be three times the length, but right. we know people eyes glaze over; they don't want to hear. I'm it. sure I'm already really boring. <laughs> so we got to this point, and that what you've just said is sort of a transition into a conclusion a little bit. Like, what's so we talked about a lot of issues, right? People have heard heard your stance on a lot of these things. They have an idea of who you are. What's what's your closing pitch? What's your close? Well, you know, why should people vote for you in November? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I've been in local government in the county of Los Angeles for a decade now. Um, I am someone who cares deeply about this work. Uh, my, I'm the first person in my family to vote in a U.S. election, and I take engagement in the political process, the democratic process, the 
government process very seriously. And fundamentally, I think that government needs to stand in the gap for people who need our help. Uh, I also came to work in government because I think government needs to work more effectively for the people that it serves, that it needs to be more transparent, and that we need to hold people accountable to outcomes. And so what you will see from me on the council is um, a lot of effort towards community engagement to bring community into decision making. I want to I want to pilot participatory budgeting where if the community is saying we want to have a say in the budget, how do we actually do participatory budgeting where we give a percentage of our budget over to our community residents? Uh, how do we make sure that we repair the past harms that our government has perpetuated on people? And how do we actually make our government work for its people? And so that's the work I've been doing. I'm already doing this work. Um, I'm ready to lead on day one. I'm passionate about this. Uh, and I vow that I will be, and anyone who's met me can, can attest, I am always willing to meet with people. I can't always guarantee that I'm going to agree with you, but I think what we want of our public servants is that they are going to be available to listen available to dialogue intelligently and not make decisions behind closed doors. And I can tell you that I will be here to be your advocate uh, and to make decisions in line with the community and with the community voice. Gotcha. All right. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks, um, Matt. We'll see what happens in November. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Inside the Daily Press. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or listen on our website at smdp.com pod. Music for Inside the Daily Press is provided by The Brig Band, LA's premier jam band. To find out when and where you can hear them live, visit thebrigband.com.